great. Hallelujah. What a great service we've had up until this point. I enjoyed worshiping with you. And uh, child dedication, of course, always gets me thinking about babies. Maybe you see a child dedication and you kind of give your wife a little elbow and say, yeah, you know, it's time to have another one, right? But I think about my own babies and I love them with all my heart. I have four of them now. They're amazing. And uh, just like everyone else in this room, of course, I was once a baby, just like you. I was born 33 years ago yesterday, and so yesterday was my birthday. Thank you for all of you who uh, wished me happy birthday on Facebook. Yep, thank you very much. Um, fun fact about my birthday was I was born 10 minutes before Valentine's Day, and so 11.50 at night, the doctors looked at my mom and they said, you know, we can wait 10 minutes. We can wait 10 minutes, and mom said, no, 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 he's coming right now. And so uh, I'd like to thank my mom for pushing through for me. And uh, forever and all time, my birthday is to be called a labor of love. It was a labor of love. So thank you, mom, if you're watching online for giving birth to me. So we, we love our children, don't we? I love that we did a child dedication service on Valentine's Day. And of course, I'm reminded that you and I are children of God. We are loved immensely and wonderfully by our Heavenly Father. And so today, as the video uh, highlighted, we're continuing with our Essential Church series. We believe church is essential. We believe that the three services that we have every Sunday, they're essential services. We love to worship, we love to fellowship and have coffee and gifts, and we love the Word of God, and we love that so many people are watching online as well. Last week, we had just as many people online as we did in service. That's amazing, isn't it? It's incredible. So today I want to share with you a message that drives home the point that God's love is the most essential quality in the life of the believer. And so it's Valentine's Day, and I wanted the message to communicate that his love is preeminent, his love is powerful, his love is all that we need. And so uh, we're going to begin with a word of prayer, and then we're going to share that message. So God, I just thank you for this morning. Lord, thank you for worship and songs and fellowship and laughter and joy, and um, God, we thank you for your love. Lord, we pray that your love would be poured out by your Holy Spirit in an overflowing, abundant way into the hearts and minds of each and every person hearing this message this morning, both in the room and online, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So the title of my message is The One You Love. That's the title, The One You Love. And I want you to turn to the person next to you right now, and uh, especially if you're married to them or even if they're in your family, I want you to look at them with as much sincerity as you can, deep into their eyes, and I want you to say, you are the one he loves. Can you do that? Yeah. Don't you feel loved? You are the one he loves. And so that's true. Um, we are going to read just five verses from John chapter 11, just the first five verses. We're not going to go farther than that into the story. So uh, beginning with verse 1, John chapter 11, it says, A man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, by the way, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, and here's the title of my, of my message, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. 
Verse 5 says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Now, before we go further into uh, this story, I thought we would take a moment and just talk about different kinds of love, because it's Valentine's Day. We should do this. So usually on Valentine's Day, couples will go to great lengths to prove to each other how much they love one another. And so, of course, uh, there's boxes of chocolates, there's flowers. If you have some extra cash in the bank and you're really romantic, maybe there's jewelry. I was always jealous of my father-in-law. He's always pulling out this fancy jewelry, and I'm like, I'm going to get there one day. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, maybe there's none of that stuff on Valentine's Day in your house, but maybe there's things like coffee and breakfast in bed, or maybe a little bit more intentionality with doing dishes and and helping uh, your wife out. But um, maybe some of you have read the book by a fellow named Gary Chapman. It's called The Five Love Languages. Give me a wave. Anybody read that book, Five Love Languages? Yeah? And so uh, love is not only about giving gifts on special occasions like Valentine's Day, but it's also about um, things like quality time, physical touch, acts of service, and words of affirmation. So it's long been said that opposites attract, and I agree with that because I have not met many couples who share the same love language. In fact, it's crazy. Almost every couple I meet seems to have exactly opposite love languages. And so Chantel, uh, we've been married for almost 10 years. Her top two are quality time and physical touch. Completely opposite of me. She likes to cuddle. She likes to spend lots of time. Just the two of us, no kids. Uh, My top love languages are words of affirmation and acts of service. I love when she helps me with things and makes an amazing dinner, and I like when she compliments me. She's watching in the parent room right now, and after the message, honey's going to say, good job, honey, best message I ever heard. Wow, awesome. So thank you. Thank you for that, Chantel. But uh, God must have a sense of humor because we need to work especially hard to love each other in ways that are natural and meaningful to the other and not only to ourselves. But but beyond romantic love, which in Greek is called eros, um, there are other kinds of love as well. And so another one, we actually experienced it this morning through child dedication, storge. Uh, it's, It's talking about love within a family. There's a fondness and there's a familiarity like a brother and a sister or a parent and a child, or grandparents and a grandbaby, family, familiar love. There's phileo, which is translated as friendship or affection. So to remember this, the opposite of phileo is like phobia. Uh, Phileo says, I like you, I want to come close to you and be affectionate, you're a great friend. Phobia says, get away from me, I want nothing to do with you. Uh, There's another kind of love that we're going to talk about as we continue on, and I'm sure you know what it is. We're going to talk about the love of God. But for these three, Eros, Storge, and Phileo, the premise of these loves, and I want you to remember this, this is why I'm communicating it, is that they are entirely human. They're not the same as God's love. They're entirely human because they are moved and motivated by such things as attraction and familiarity and affection. There's a, there's a motivating factor that produces a desire to love that other person. And so we've talked about love for a, a minute now. Let's get back to our story. Uh, there's a man named Lazarus, and he's needing some love, medically speaking. Uh, miraculously speaking, Lazarus is needing some love. He's sick, very sick, hours from passing into eternity. And I'll bet that his sisters, Mary and Martha, love 
their brother, and they have tried all other avenues to save his life. Things aren't looking good, and so they've concluded that there is one answer to save Lazarus. They need Jesus to come and heal him. And so they come up with this very logical plan. They're going to write a note and put it in a runner's hand, and that runner is going to go way up the road, miles, maybe even days. He's going to place that note in Jesus' hand, and this note its intention is that it will compel God. It will compel the Son of God to come down the road to save Lazarus' life. Now, what we're about to discover is what Mary and Martha truly believe about the Lord and what they believe about love. How many of you know that when you're hard-pressed, when life gets a little intense, when circumstances are hard and stressful, and what you truly believe about life seems to come out in those moments, and sometimes it actually comes out of your mouth. Mary and Martha are desperate, and they want to save their brother's life, and so they write this note that says, Lord, the one you love is sick. This is a profound statement. This really struck me this week. Lord, the one you love is sick. There's good things, but there's also some bad things about it. We're going to talk about what's wrong with it in a moment. But what is amazing about this statement? What is so cool about this statement? What's incredible is that Mary and Martha believe that what will move God the most is not his love, or not Lazarus' love for him, but his love for Lazarus. I'll say it again. Lord, the one you love is sick. The one you love. That line should get all of us to investigate the focus of our relationship with God. The question is this, and it, it's a question I put on the screen for you. Is the focus of the gospel man loving God, or is it God loving man? If you read your Bible, you'll discover something that is contrary to how we naturally love, and that is that the essence of the gospel is overwhelmingly God loving you. It's God loving man. Through our lens of love, the human way in which we understand, we would read the verse and we would phrase it a little bit differently. I almost did naturally the first time I read it. Lord, the one who loves you is sick. Lord, the one who loves you is sick. He loves you. He's such a good person. He reads his Bible. He prays. He's generous. He's kind. He's done a lot of good things. And there's a particular kind of grieving that I hear people say when especially a good person is sick or a good person is experiencing tragedy. God, do something. Come and heal this good person. Because our relationships are filled with conditional love, which says, I have to like you to love you, we so easily apply that to our relationship with Jesus. If I do my part, then Jesus will be moved to do his part. But church, it's with a definition like that that we slip into a very human application of the gospel. I want to share with you a thought that I believe if everybody could just catch this thought and keep this in their spirit at all times, it would change their entire outlook on God and life. And we've actually been touching on this a lot in our Essential Church series. This has been a theme throughout Pastor Greg's messages the last few weeks. Can I tell you what moves God? Let me tell you what moves God. God. God moves God. God moves God. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. 
This is like one of the first scriptures I've ever memorized. I went to the Father's House Christian School. This was one of the first ones. It doesn't say, for the world so loved God that he gave his only son. I'd like to read it that way sometimes. The story of the gospel is not about those who implored God because of their passion and their desire and their love for him and people who were so enraptured with God that they said, Lord, come, Lord, we love you, please. And the gospel is not about a God who paced on gold-laden streets in heaven and who considered and who pondered and, well, should I? Should I not? Mm, They're pretty convincing. I don't know. Okay, Jesus, you can go. It's not the gospel. The Bible says, for God so loved the world. You know that verse could say, for God loved the world? But it actually says, for God so loved the world. And we sang about it this morning. Oh, the overwhelming, never-ending, reckless love of God. It chases me down. It fights until I'm found. It leaves the 99. You know the story. It's referring to the good shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep who are safe and goes out after the one who has gotten lost and is in trouble. That's the love of God. That's it. It says, I couldn't earn it. I don't deserve it. Why do I try so often? to do that. Still, you give yourself away over the overwhelming, the never-ending, the reckless love of God. This is a Valentine's Day message, and it's that God loves you. God loves people. He loves broken, hurting, and dare I say it, he even loves wicked people. 1 John 4 verse 10 says, this is love. He loved us long before we loved him, and it was his love, not ours, He proved it by sending his son to be the pleasing sacrificial offering to take away our sins. Remember that question and remember that answer. What moves God? And the answer is God. God moves God. And that love that originates in God is an initiating love. It has its origin in him, and it finds us as we are, completely undeserving. I was thinking about it, having a laugh in my office if I was trying to save my brother's life. I, first of all, don't think I would write such a short note. Lord, the one you love is sick. But what I would do is I would try to list my brother's uh, spiritual credentials, you know, give a resume of his uh, average time in prayer, and how often he reads his Bible, and how great is his tithe, you know. (laughs) None of that is necessary. It's amazing. But the most famous verse in all of Christianity is illogical and ridiculous when compared to every other love that we know in this world. It's unlike secular love that wants to use and abuse people and sometimes is more like lust. It's not like love of other religions that says you can have it, but you better work for it. You better earn it. But this is a love for all people. John 3.16 reads like this, for God so loved the world. And I love going into the original language and say, what does... What does it mean that God so loved the world? And there was this one definition that just jumped off the page at me. It indicates a bad system with bad people. The original word for world refers to the ungodly multitude, the whole mass of men alienated from God and hostile to the cause of Christ. That's a crazy definition. For God so loved the ungodly multitude that he put on skin and bone and came to earth and died And it gets even crazier than that. It says, for whoever would believe in him. For whoever. 
God so passionately loves people, even bad people, that he gives his son the premise of whoever. Whoever, not the good people, whoever. Not the deserving, but whoever believes. I've had people say, who is this God? He doesn't make sense. God doesn't make sense. And there was a time in my life where I would argue that, and I would say, oh yeah, well, let me show you. God makes sense. But with every birthday comes a little more wisdom, and now I say, you're right. It doesn't make sense. Oh, the overwhelming love of God. Since when is God supposed to make sense? He's a mystery. His ways are higher than our ways. His love is greater. If it were not so, he wouldn't be God. 1 John 3 verse 1 says, see what great love. There's another good word in front of love. See what great love the Father has lavished upon you. That all of us should be called children of God. It says that is what we are at the Father's house. We are the Father's house. You are sons and daughters of the Most High, lavished with his love. We talked about human love being a conditional love. It's most often based on attraction, familiarity, and affection. And I told you that the statement that Mary and Martha use is really quite extraordinary to compel God to come down the road to heal Lazarus. Lord, the one you love is sick. But there's a problem with this statement as well, and you might be onto it already, but the issue is that Mary and Martha use a human word for love. We don't see this because the English translators just insert the word love into that statement. But in the original language, these sisters, when imploring Jesus to come heal their brother, they use the word phileo. They're saying, Jesus, come heal our brother. He's your friend. He's your friend. But the revelation in our story, and for you and I today, is that God's love is not phileo. He has a love that is exclusively his, and it flows from the core of his being. And he doesn't merely feel love. God doesn't feel love like we do, and he doesn't merely express love, but my Bible says that God is love. God is love, he, and he always acts consistently with the contents of his character. He cannot help but love. He cannot deny himself. The Greek word for God's love is agape, and agape is a love that doesn't need reciprocation. It's unconditional, it's relentless, it's persistent, it's aggressive, and it will always remain Church, this is God, and this is how God functions. He has agape for each and every person in this room and every human being who has ever lived. He doesn't phileo humanity because, let's be honest, there's not a whole lot to be affectionate about from a God in heaven looking at the ungodly multitude, the masses in the world. The sisters say, Jesus, come because Lazarus is your friend, but in verse 5, this is kind of cool, Jesus changes the word. It says, Jesus, agape, Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. Same word for love inserted into these five verses, or in, in English. Two completely different definitions, a better word. Church, I love so many things in our world. I love mountains. I love lakes. I love oceans. I especially love the prairies. I had a good debate with somebody a couple years ago. They said, I would do anything for a mountain view. And I was like, you know what? Nothing's better than prairies as far as the eye can see. Nothing's better, right? We, we can debate that after, but um, I, love, I love animals, especially dogs. I love dogs. But there is one being created in the image of God. In all of creation, there is but one, and that is a human being. And human beings are the object of God's 
relentless, passionate, all-consuming love. He will never stop loving you. To do so would be to deny himself. And so I just want that to fill you up today. I just want that to overflow in your heart and to penetrate you powerfully. How does this relate to essential church? This is an essential church uh, message today. I want you to hear me when I say this great love is the basis for everything. It's the foundation of discipleship. You will never grow in a relationship with the Lord until you comprehend how much he loves you. And sometimes what happens when we listen to messages is every now and then you catch a comment where somebody says, oh, that was a simple message. I knew that already. But I would challenge you and say, is it a head knowledge or is it a heart knowledge? Do you know God's love because you've read about it and you've heard it a thousand times in John 3.16 and yada, yada, yada? Or is it a knowledge that's become a revelation and that is a truth that only God can reveal and instill inside of you and it's a truth that permeates your life? It doesn't matter if you've been a Christian for 40 years. When God's love is alive and active in your spirit, it brings tears to your eyes. You can't help but sing hymns and songs and read scripture and tear up and go, wow, God, oh, you love me. But God's love is a revelation that is best served and received fresh every day. He loves you. He loves you. He loves you. You never stop partaking in that love. And if you know that that love is real, it will improve your marriage. It will strengthen your parenting. It will transform your thoughts and emotions and behaviors. The Bible says that perfect love casts away fear. We need this love. That love will dispense joy and peace and confidence into the depths of your soul. It's the foundation behind everything that makes life worth living. 1 John 4, verse 16 This is a good verse. It says, we have come into an intimate experience with God's love, and we trust in the love he has for us. God is love. Those who are living in God, are are living in love, are living in God, and God lives through them. This is what it's all about. His love is everything. And so uh, how else is this love related to Essential Church, our series? Well, it's not only the basis for discipleship, but this is our basis for mission, We have got to get the message out there. We have got to tell as many people as we possibly can. God's not angry. God's not vengeful. And even if you're bad, this God loves you. Pastor Greg came by my office this week and we were chatting and he made this comment and he said, we are shaped by our ideas. Just that statement alone. I want you to think about that. We are shaped by our ideas. And in no way is this more true than our ideas about God. You are shaped by your ideas. If your idea is that God is wrong and the Bible is false, your life will be shaped by that idea and your life will go wayward based on that idea. If your idea is that God is a judge, he's angry, well then there are many people in this life living under the heavy hand of judgment because that's their idea. But if your idea of God is that he is loving, then you will receive kindness, and you will receive his forgiveness, and you will receive his healing touch, and that love will begin to color everything. All of your relationships, your work, your attitude, your perspective, your number one goal should be to immerse yourself in the knowledge of God and to know intimately through experience how high and how wide and how deep is the love of God for you. Amen? You think you got it? (laughs) We're going to move towards the conclusion right now, but I just want to address a specific group of you. 
Those of you who are followers of Jesus today, you know about the love of God, and maybe through this message you realize that there are still parts of you that try to perform for that love. And maybe intellectually you believe that God loves you, but you're still overwhelmed sometimes with a feeling of unworthiness. You feel like you have to do more good things and fewer bad things, and God's always measuring. Can we just do away with that this morning? And as you've heard this Valentine's Day message, it, message, it's touched your heart, and you want to internalize the truth and embrace the goodness that love is not just something that God does. Let me tell you, let's hit it home. Love is who he is. Love is who he is. There's nothing that you can do to get him to love you more and nothing you can do that would cause him to love you less. And so you want to embrace this love. If that's you today, would you just lift up your hand and say, yeah, more. Holy Spirit, pour it out in my heart. More, more, more of that love. Amen. Hallelujah. Let's just pray together. And so God, I thank you that hearts right now are being ministered to by the power of your Holy Spirit. And God, I pray that we would embrace the good news that your love is not about performance. God, it's about your character. And it's about your nature. It's about who you are. And Lord, I pray that we would be set free from trying to earn that love. And God, help us to surrender to it. Help us to embrace it as your greatest gift to us. God, you love us because that is who you are. That is all that you can do. And so transform our hearts as we internalize your unconditional and eternal love for each and every person in this room and all of those watching online as well. Amen. And as we keep praying today, maybe there are those of you who have heard this message and it's just piercing you in a special way. Um, there are so many people that live with profound fear that they've made too many mistakes. You don't know what I've done. It's been bad at some points. But I want to tell you that God loves you exactly as you are, no matter what you've done. And this is Christianity. This is faith. This is what makes the love of God such good news that the Father sent his Son, Jesus, who was without sin, to become sin for us. And he died, and three days later, he rose again so that whoever, come on now, whoever, that includes you, calls on his name will be saved, forgiven, transformed, made new. And so is there anybody in the room or anybody online, there's actually a button that you can click online that says, I would like to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior. But is there anybody in the room that would say, yeah, me, I'd like to recommit my life to Jesus today. That hand can feel so heavy until you put it up. Is there anyone? We're in good company, a bunch of believers today. Amen. Well, in closing, why don't we stand? I want to read a scripture over you right now. So stand up. This is Ephesians chapter 3 and verses 14 to 19. And I just want this to soak into your spirit. And so open your hands, close your eyes. Opening your hands is the opposite of this. Don't do this, do this. There you go. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. I ask that out of the riches of his glory, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And then you, being rooted and grounded in love, will have power together with all the saints to comprehend the length 
and the width and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. And to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Receive that love. Give the Lord a hand clap. Amen. Amen. And so God loves you, and clearly we love you too, because Georgina Scott made over 3,000 cookies. Oh my goodness, that's amazing. So <laughs> why don't you go and uh, collect your box of cookies for your household? You can just go to the glass cross uh, in the fellowship hall to get your cookies. And God bless you. We love you. God loves you. And have a great week. Amen.